Given that World of Warcraft is a game with a living lore that is now old enough to get its driver's license in most places, it's funny just how much of the game's actual lore either isn't in the game itself or was created outside the confines of World of Warcraft. Other fictional universes such as Star Wars or Marvel experience this, but not quite to the extent of WoW. Still, I would argue, not to the extremes that Warcraft has gone through, with role-playing books, novels, short films, and comics all contributing to the official A-tier canon of WoW. And even then, a lot of this lore gets shifted, edited, and updated when needed, such as the World of Warcraft Chronicles books that I love to mention on here that was released around the time of Legion. Consider my amusement when I broke my personal embargo on Dragonflight spoilers this past week and read the synopsis of what's going on in the next expansion. No spoilers are ahead because I didn't want to jump too far in, but I feel like our question from the last episode about what direction the story is going to go now that it seems like all the established lore stuff has had their threads tied up has now been answered. And lo and behold, the story of Dragonflight and what leads players venturing to the forgotten shores of the Dragon Isles is one you may not know or be aware of unless you've paid close attention to the ongoing story of the five Dragonflights, Guardians of Azeroth and the first race evolved and given the gift of the Titans and the Watchers. Of course, I would be remiss to say that the lore of the dragons is completely missing from in-game, as that's just not true. After all, we literally did an episode in Season 1 about Anixia's mucking about in the politics of Azeroth just for funsies, and Cataclysm was all about Deathwing and his ultimate end. And yet, so much about the origins and beginnings of the Five Flights is buried in old fiction, novels, and even side stuff such as Hearthstone, which has turned out to be a really great way for the team to reframe and refocus old or forgotten lore, but with a fun new twist. Now, be honest, how many of you out there even know what or who a Galakrond is? Outside of his being a massive skeleton located directly in the middle of Dragonblade. One of the things I love about WoW, though, is that there are things in the game that aren't necessarily common knowledge or explained outright being a constant reminder that there are multiple worlds within worlds when it comes to all things Azeroth. Side note, all things Azeroth was one of the final choices for the name of this podcast, but ultimately lost out because of the Emerald Lagasse reference that Essence of Azeroth is, and that made me laugh. A lot of the setup for the next expansion doesn't have much of a footprint in the current game, especially given that the end of Cataclysm in many ways felt like the end of the line for the Dragonflights and their power. The five consorts of the main flights all gave up their power and ability to reproduce in order to power up the Dragon Soul artifact one more time and damage Deathwing. But this is also one of the things I love about an ever-evolving canon with a game like World of Warcraft. Expectations can shift, characters can come back, and old stories can be given new life. Like we said in the last episode, the world is wide open for World of Warcraft from here on out. The Alliance and Horde are working together in earnest to reach the Dragon Isles, and anything can happen. Especially dragons. Dragons can, and will happen. So today on Essence of Azeroth, we're going to take a crash course on the history of the dragon race, the fight against the original unstoppable baddie of the dragons, 
and how the namesake of the Order of the Silver Hand shaped the very evolution of Azeroth, all in preparation for Dragonflight in November. This is Essence of Azeroth. Today's episode is brought to you by generous support from Brooke, Melissa, and Otto. Consider giving monthly to the podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth and help me cover the costs of the podcast. You'll also get access to our Discord and in-game guild over on Asgalore. Remember, it's patreon.com forward slash Essence of Azeroth. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Stop me if you've heard this before. But the origins of the dragons, proto-dragons, dragonflight, and everything else we're going to be talking about today all starts with the Titans. And if you're still a bit foggy on the Titans, the Watchers, the Keepers, the Stoneforged, and everything else involving the primordial beginnings of Azeroth, then you aren't alone. Honestly, it still surprises me that around Legion, somewhat out of left field, The expansion just jumps into Titan's territory at the end of the endgame and blasts players off to literal space with little to no warning or explanation in-game as to what's going on. But, as we said at the top of the show, this is just sort of how WoW rolls. A lot of its biggest lore is buried in beginnings, and because of a lot of the game's framework is from the exegesis perspective of someone that doesn't know all the inner workings of the multiverse, you end up missing a good deal if you aren't willing to do the homework. Well, allow me to do the homework for you as always. In regards to the Titans, we will do a big ol' episode at some point breaking down the origins of the Pantheon, the Titans, Sargeras, and all that jazz. Because, honestly, even though Sargeras currently sits imprisoned at the literal seat of the Pantheon, and seems to be a nice bow-tied end to the end of the Burning Legion, we all know you can't keep a good demon army down. Also, while researching for this episode, I came across a little snippet of throwaway dialogue that once again seems to echo my opinion that WoW's endgame is with the Void Lords of the Twisting Nether. While at the seat of the Pantheon post-Argus, if players have the priest weapon Zolototh, Black Blade of the Empire, you get this line. Long have we sought entry to this realm. To think we have a mortal to thank for giving us our foothold. Your service will be remembered. Remember the name Zolototh as she will pop up again after being freed from her dagger prison by Nazoth and walking through a void portal at the end of the Nilotha raid. Now in corporeal, humanoid form, and with clear motives to help out the Void Lords. This is all to say that I am sure at some point we will be revisiting the origins of the Titans, 
their battle against the Old Ones, and why Sargeras did the things he did. In fact, don't be surprised if Dragonflight's in-game content takes a full 180 and does it anyways. Alright, tangent over, here's where the real lesson starts. All life on the planet of Azeroth begins with the Keepers, massive stone-forged guardians created by the Titans in order to cultivate and guide the direction of life on the planet. To what purpose? Remember, Azeroth the planet contains a world soul that, when fully matured, will turn into a new Titan. And if the myths about Azeroth the Titan are true, then it could very well be the most powerful Titan and the one that tips the balance of power. However, for that to happen, there must be a diverse and prolific amount of life to be absorbed at the time of maturation. Yes, this does mean that eventually everything on Azeroth will die and be food for this proverbial fire. However, the Titans are playing a long game, and we're talking about millennia from the current WoW timeline. The Titans' sole job is to tend to the garden, bring about life, and, as they soon learn, attempt to combat the black growth of the Akir that has spawned from the infestation on Azeroth created by the Old God's presence and the Black Empire. However, the first challenge of the Keepers and their Stoneforged army was to quell the elemental invasion, with the Keeper's strongest warrior, Tyr, leading the assault. With his massive bludgeon weapon called the Silver Hand, Tyr led the Titanforged to victory over Ragnaros, sealing away the elemental lords into new realities called the Elemental Plains, and literally calming the seas of Azeroth in order to give way for the creation of new life. And yes, if you're keeping track, this is very much an allegory for the book of Genesis in the Christian Bible, with the elements being coalesced and calmed for creation. Tyr is an important figure in WoW lore, because above all the Keepers, he had an especially large fondness for the creatures of Azeroth and wanted the best for them. After all, the guy fought back the Black Empire and Ragnaros, also life could take hold. And mentioning the elemental plane here is important because this is where the origin of the dragon race, called the Proto-Dragons, originate. The first Proto-Dragons were elemental drakes, such as stone and storm drakes, created from the literal elemental realms that Tyr helped beat back. This is similar to how the Stoneforge were created from Azeroth's own rock, later becoming the Dwarves, the Trogs, the Vrykul, and then Humanity. And as you've seen in-game, Proto-Drakes are a somewhat malformed race. Not as big as the modern dragon, not as advanced, but possessing great power thanks to their elemental origins and staying on Azeroth instead of retreating to the elemental planes when things began to form. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait, there are still Proto-Drakes around. What's up with that? Is this an evolution thing? Did they just not evolve? I didn't know that was a choice. Well, here's where Tyr gets involved again, but not until the power of friendship brings together two sides for a common cause. Much of Tyr's interactions with the proto-drake consorts that would eventually become the leaders of the five dragonflights is found in novelization, some of the earliest in Warcraft book canon by writer Richard Knack. Some of this has been reprinted with a few changes to make things canonically connected, but the story of Tyr learning to trust the so-called lesser races and literally give his flesh and blood to help save and evolve a burgeoning species is one you won't really find in-game. 
Tyr was on a mission to find a worthy race to elevate as guardians of Azeroth, much in the way that he was created to be a caretaker to this cosmic garden of a planet. He began to notice that some special proto-dragons had taken on special characteristics in their formation, which included the blue proto-dragon Maligos and the black proto-dragon Neltharion, and hoped to rally these special specimens to combat a new, growing threat within the new species. A threat that, potentially, Tyr may have created himself. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Galakrond is a name that a lot of Blizzard fans and WoW players probably know, but don't actually know much about. Once referred to as the progenitor of the dragons, Galakrond's history is somewhat muddled, with the only real hard evidence of him existing in-game is his literal massive corpse serving as a set piece in the middle of Dragonblade. If you play Hearthstone, you may remember a recent set featuring Galakrond as the centerpiece of the set's theme, with each class of hero having their own Galakrond card. And that was somewhat to represent that he was thought of as the progenitor of the dragons, and therefore represented all the flights and maybe contained all the powers, but even that was hearsay and not really true to the lore and canon, which we will forgive Hearthstone for because it's still fun. But past all that, there's not much. The in-game reason for this is because the Dragonflights have kept a secret for the entirety of their existence. Though referred to as the blueprint from which all dragons must have come from due to his massive size and strength, the truth is that Galakrond is most likely a mistake in tears meddling, and it was better to keep the live Galakrond going rather than let the truth get out that the greatest warrior to ever step foot on Azeroth was responsible for almost wiping out an entire species that would direct and change the fate of Azeroth. There are two theories on Galakrond. The first, and sensible, is that he is yet another victim of the poisoning that stems from Sauronite, as the area that would become Northrend was where old god Yogg-Saron was imprisoned. As we talked about in the Wrathgate episode, Yogi's blood infected the very minerals and ore of the area, leading to deep infections of madness. This is one explanation for why Galakrond is a sickly fell color and a cannibal, eating the flesh of his kin and eating the flesh of the zombies that he was able to create with his breath, and growing in strength while also creating said undead monstrosities with his very existence. However, I think there's a better explanation, and one with more grounding. 
as Tyr himself mentions vaguely in the novel Dawn of the Aspects that Galacron's actions and mutations, quote, did not go according to his plan. This tells me two things, both of which are somewhat guesses, but I think are correct. Galacrond was Tyr's first attempt at evolving the proto-Drake race into something more, and it went terribly wrong. And in that, I think Tyr may have experimented with infusing Galacrond with the power of the Twisting Nether, or Fell Energy, not knowing what would happen. He might have tapped into what he thought was yet another elemental plane, and next thing you know, Galacrond, once seen as the benevolent fellow hunter within the ranks of the Proto-Drakes, is going mad, eating his friends, and growing to the size of that big sword currently stuck in Silithus. It cannot be understated how big Galacrond was, was supposedly. Thus, Tyr goes to try and right his wrong, finding these five special proto-drakes that all appear to have exceptionally taken on the powers and visage of their elemental planes. Maligos, Notharion, Alexstrasza, Isera, and Nosdormu. Names we all know well and are drafted by Tyr in an effort to stop Galakrond from turning the entire planet undead and killing the garden before it could ever truly start growing. So Tyr and the Protodrakes attempt to strike at Galakrond as he rested on a mountain. But even Tyr was no match for this mighty beast by himself as Galakrond bites off the silver hand, devouring Keeper flesh and further mutating and growing in power. It wouldn't be until a final showdown in the Dragon Blight, the literal place where all dragons would eventually go to die, that all five future aspects united with Maligos lodging a massive stone in the threat of the ravenous Galakrond, causing him to choke to death with a rock right in his throat, leaving his massive body at the Dragonblight. It's here that the Protodrakes agree that, for the best, they all perpetuate the myth that Galakrond was the spawning point for all of their kind, and not a mutated horror that came close to stuffing out Azeroth in its crib. This is also why the dragons use Dragonblight as a hub of sorts, with all the future flights having a graveyard in this area circled around the grave of Galakrond. This is where Tyr and the Keepers attempt to right their past wrong, offering a gift to the Proto-Drakes, Ascension. The gift of the Titans would be bestowed on all the dragon flights, with the aspects that helped down Galakrond being given a special place as consorts to the Keepers and the leaders of their respective colors, Earth, Fire, Life, Arcane, and Time. There is a catch, however, and one that is what leads us into Dragonflight. Not all of the Protodrake flights wish to take on this so-called ascension, as they saw it as an affront to those who are proud of their origins from Galakrond. These drakes formed the Primalists, who shunned the Titans and waited for a time when Galakrond would return as the King of the Dragons. However, and as you guessed, this fervid devotion was built on a lie meant to hide the truth about Galakrond. And so the Dragage lineage split yet again, with dragons, elemental dra drakes, proto-drakes, and more all making up the dragon hierarchy. This newfound evolution would be put to use by Tyr, calling upon the new aspects of the Dragonflights to help assist in the War of the Ancients. The battle between the forces of Azeroth and the Burning Legion's attempts to gain entry to Azeroth through the Well of Eternity, ending in the destruction of those energies and the Sundering. The War of the Ancients is actually a super busy story, with multiple sub-stories all going on at once with major characters all kind of intermingling. 
While the story of Illidan, Malfurion, and Tyrande is playing out, the Dragonflights are suffering their greatest loss since Galakrond, with the Earth aspect and Eltharion succumbing to the whispers of the Old Gods, buried in the very Earth that he channeled energy from, leading to a dastardly plot in which an artifact called the Dragon Soul was created from the essence of all five dragon aspects. Meant as a means for reversing the enemies of the Well of Eternity and sucking every demon back into the Nether, which worked. Until Naltharion turned those golden rays of energy against his former kin in a blind, paranoid rage fueled by the whisper of the old gods and decimated the dragon ranks. Many dragons died. This power was not meant to be used by one being for too long, causing Naltharion's skin to crack, break, boil, and fall apart, leading to his retreat under Kazan, where the dragon called Deathwing was born, forcing the goblins of Kazan to build massive metal plates to keep the dragon's flesh from falling apart. But the damage was done. The dragon's soul was lost to time. Literally, as players would be sent back in time by Nozdormu to steal the dragon's soul for use against Deathwing once more in Cataclysm. It's here that the dragonflights somewhat fall away from each other, each going their separate ways. The Red Dragonflight was taken captive by the original Horde during the time period known as Warcraft II, with Alexstrasza being held captive as a broodmare in Grim Batal, near the wetlands of Arathi, which would be seen up until World of Warcraft. The Green Dragonflight became recluses, falling into the Emerald Dream as a way to protect the newly crafted world tree Nordisil, and suffering captivity at the hands of the Gorobashi trolls at the sunken temple of Atal Hakar. The Blue Flight would become the keepers of the Heart of Magic, but anyone who is currently playing Wrath Classic knows that things don't go especially well for Maligos at all. Meanwhile, the Bronze Flight spends eons attempting to not interfere in the world of Azeroth during and up to the War of the Shifting Sands and the Downfall of C'Thun, before yet another mystery of an infinite Dragonflight would appear with goals of shattering the timeline. And as for the Black Flight, we know it's nothing but bad news all the way down. Deathwing's son, Rathion, much like his father, eventually falls prey to the whispers of the old gods and is turned against adventurers at Nylatha, though eventually is freed from those shackles and is part of the party that is heading towards the Dragon Isles and Dragonflight. This is all to say that it sort of sucked being a dragon, no matter what color you were. It wasn't until Cataclysm that the flights finally got on the same page and worked together, and maybe if they had gotten their own individual issues sooner, they could have avoided such heartaches as Alexstrasza being held captive with the power of the Dragon Soul, given to the orcs by Deathwing, or the eternal suffering madness of the Green Flight, continually taken hostage in the attempts of various villains trying to gain access to the Emerald Dream. So after all that, you might be asking yourself, okay, that all makes sense, but what about Dragonflight? Isn't there an entire Dragon Isles that is suddenly appearing out of nowhere? What's with that? And if dragons can no longer breed since the events of Cataclysm, why is there suddenly a playable race of dragons that we've never seen before? We'll go into this a bit here, as the official synopsis about how Dragonflight kicks off has given us some details about the mysterious Dragon Isles, forged by the hands of Tyr himself as a breeding ground for all of the Dragonflights, and meant as an emergency base should the flights ever run into any danger. The Isles are essentially a giant titan's facility, similar to Old War, with stonekeepers, dryads, draconid, and more all being found on this island. 
However, the most important location is also a hidden secret within that hidden aisle, as Neltharion and Maligos created a hidden lab meant to create the ultimate melding of dragon genealogy and the spirit of humanity and creatures found on Azeroth. This new warrior class was placed into stasis and meant as a protector for all of Azeroth should the dragon aspects ever fall. However, with the aspects scattered to the winds and the beacon of Tearhold dimmed, the island became shrouded and nothing but myth until the start of Dragonflight, when the beacon is lit once more and calls all dragonkind and adventurers back home. I was super intrigued to find out just how involved Tear is with the dragons, as this entire aspects of lore in WoW was somewhat new to me going into this multi-week research period for this episode. Tear truly gave everything to see Azeroth as a place of prosperity, truly wanting the best for the species of this planet he was called to protect. So much so that after his death, at the hands of the traitorous keeper Loken, Tyr was buried underneath a pristine lake in the countryside, at a place called by his friend Ironia, Tyr's Fall. Today, Tyr's Fall's glades still holds monument of a keeper with the silver hand and the best of intentions. Thanks for joining me today on this journey into the basics of the dragons. I'm actually super excited to see where Dragonflight goes and if we're about to see the resurrection of Galakrond, either by these primalist proto-drakes or by someone else attempting to yet again weaken Azeroth enough for some other entity's lofty goals. I'm thrilled to try the Drakthir and see what their place on Azeroth ends up being, especially because they are technically now the oldest playable race by far in World of Warcraft. Join us here next time as we take a bit of a break from dragons and delve back into the Raid Finder, this time looking at the history and lore of Ankiraj, the War of the Shifting Sands, and how I'm still mad to this day that I'll never get the Scarab Lord title and mount. Please consider signing up for uh, Essence of Azeroth at our Patreon, or consider leaving a voice message for the podcast over anchor.fm forward slash Azeroth podcast, which I will gladly read and answer on the air. Until then, take care and avoid those wowhead spoilers. This one would make an excellent champion for our cause. Perhaps he can yet be turned. <laughs>